Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. And so we are in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and we are talking about the church, the letter to the church in Smyrna. So verse 8 says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so this church in Smyrna hearing these words of Jesus saying, hey, uh, looking at what is before you, you need to be ready. It's not going to be an easy walk that you're going to get thrown into the midst of the battle. And we hear that word tribulation right there in verse 9. I know your tribulation. Again, we always want to jump to the great tribulation. We are getting to that. But tribulation just means affliction, suffering, persecution. He says, I know your affliction and I know your poverty. Don't fear that. But we're not referencing yet the great tribulation. That is still to come. And see, a lot of times we see that in, in, in us, sometimes it can almost conflict with us. Because we've sometimes, we'll, if we're going to be honest and transparent with ourselves and, and guilty as charged at times in my life, I think, well, Lord, I gave my life to you. I put my faith and my trust in you, then why is my life like this? Why am I dealing with this? Why is not everything just sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and butterflies? I thought I was supposed to give my life to you and you were gonna smooth out everything and my life was gonna be easy. Why isn't there just money raining down upon me because of my faith in you? Why am I sick? Why, am I, why don't I have health? Because I put my faith and my trust in you. Why are these things still happening to me? See, we read verses like this. I know your tribulation and your poverty. And a lot of times we're gonna be honest with ourselves. We don't want that. We want the easy life. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If you ever were taught that Christianity was going to give you the easy life of health, wealth, and everything great, you were lied to. That is not biblical Christianity. And so Jesus is speaking to this church, and he goes, I know where you're at. I see the affliction that you are under. And even for some of us this morning, walking in and hearing that, can be difficult. We, we, when I hear, you know, with that idea that oh, the Lord sees us, you know, the, God is omniscient. He knows everything. So we can't hide anything from him. But growing up in the little Baptist church that I did and going to church camp, they always use that as a negative thing. Don't you sin. God sees it. 
what do I do then? You know, it was always used, and I was always fearful of everything. Like, did God really see what I did there and here? Is he really watching me on Friday night when I'm just running with the devil? Like, does he see it? It was always seen as a negative thing. And some of you probably still operate that way. Under these fear tactics that the Lord is omniscient. He's going to see everything, and he's just ready to smite you because he's an almighty smiter, right? Movie quote, if you can get it. But honestly, as the believer, those of us that have put our faith and our trust in Christ, hearing Jesus say, I know your affliction. I know your tribulation. There's hope in that. There's promise in that. I mean, even us in our horizontal relationships with one another, that helps when we understand that somebody else understands us. You know, like if if somebody is struggling with alcohol, I don't have a context for that. That was never a struggle for me. So I could never look at them and say, hey, I know where you're at. But I bet there's somebody in the body here even this morning that had that struggle and could look at you and say, hey, I know where you're at. And I know where the light at the end of this tunnel is and his name's Jesus. For me, if somebody got that call, that diagnosis and said, hey, you have cancer, I could look at you and say, I know where you're at. I remember getting my call. I remember the first appointment. I remember walking onto the oncology floor and everybody else was three times my age and it was me and my young wife. I, I remember that. I know where you're at. And there's comfort, even horizontally, in our, in our human relationships to know that somebody else has been there where we're at. And I think one of the greatest lies that Satan has for us is that we alienate and island ourselves away from everybody else and we say things like, yeah, nobody knows what it's like. And, and I know I'm quoting an old uh, rock song or something, Behind Blue Eyes. I won't sing it to you. But all you're going to Google it when you get back home, be like, I haven't heard that song for years. <laughs> but we can think that. Great song, bad theology. And we think that at times. People don't know what it's like. People don't know what I'm walking through. Nobody's ever been here. True. But find hope. In the words of Jesus, he says, I know. I know your affliction. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander that is coming against you. And it's not just in these words here in Revelation, but all through Scripture. From the very beginning, we see a God that sees us. You know, in Genesis 16, usually we're talking, uh, you know, we'll get to Genesis next year and, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper but we're not talking about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, but Hagar and Ishmael, the maidservant, that the only thing that she was good for was her womb. And then when she does produce a child for Abraham is ostracized out. It's in Genesis 16 when she's wandering out in the desert, she sees the Lord. And what does she say of Yahweh? He is the God that sees me. That's what she saw when she saw Yahweh. That's the God that sees me in her trouble, in her affliction, in her suffering. There was God that sees me. And I know some of us here are thinking, I want that God. Does he really see me in my affliction, in my trouble? Does he really see me in this suffering? The answer is yes. If you want to hold it, Revelation, go to Exodus chapter 2. Some of my favorite uh, verses in all of Scripture. 
This is during the days when Israel is in bondage of Egypt. This is after Joseph has died and has gone on in Pharaoh and Egypt doesn't remember him and things aren't looking great. And they're oppressed and they're in slavery. But Exodus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 23 says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Have you ever been in a situation so deep, so moving, that all you can do is groan and cry out for help? And sometimes you feel like only divine help could help. That you look at people around in your life and it's like, what use are you? I need, I need God to step into this. So this is where Israel is at. And their cry for rescue from slavery, it came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And I think one of the most comforting two words in all of scripture, God knew God knew the situation that was going on with Israel, and God knows the situation that's going on with the church in Smyrna, and God knows the situation that's going on with you. If you kick over to chapter three, look at verse seven. And then the Lord, this is Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, this is, I think, pre-incarnate Jesus. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt. And the same is true for us, that our Lord hears us. He knows our suffering, and he came down, not just to deliver us out of the hand of Egypt, but to deliver us out of the hand of the devil, to deliver us out of the hand of sin, that we were like Israel in bondage, slaves to sin, child of wrath, and he delivers us because of our faith and our trust in him, and now we are a child of God. Not just a, a slave or a servant, but what does he call us? Co-heirs with him. That we are seated with Christ, Ephesians 2 says. And why? Because he remembered his covenant, that he poured out his blood for us. And so he delivers us, again, because of our faith and our trust in him. Even in John's gospel, I love uh, the beginning. I wish the Bible at times would give us a little more details. You know, like a good movie, I like all the little details. My wife says, oh, books are far more detailed. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. A picture is worth a thousand words. And a movie is a bunch of moving pictures. You can't put in all of words everything that I'm seeing, especially within two hours, and especially with somebody that doesn't read so well. <laughs> Movies. But I love all the little de details and the nuances of it, and I wish the Bible would give us a few more. But in the beginnings of the Gospel of John, you see Jesus talking, and he sees a guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel starts walking up. And in the conversation, what's Jesus tell Nathaniel? I saw you under the fig tree. You know, the movie show, or the movie, the show, The Chosen, kind of tries to expound and use some artistic liberties. Don't get mad at me. It's artistic liberties. Like, a lot of people are like, that's not in Scripture. And I'm like, I know, neither am I, but here I am. Artistic liberties, okay, calm down. And they expound maybe what that event was. But what we do know 
is that when Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, I saw you under the fig tree, whatever that moment was for Nathanael, obviously he probably wasn't just taking a nap. He wasn't just hanging out watching the game. That there was probably something in his life that was, that was impactful enough that when Jesus says, I saw you there, that was enough for Nathaniel to look at Jesus and say, you are the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus saw him in his affliction, in his trial, in his trouble. And so in your troubles, the question that we have to ask is, do you see God in them? A lot of times when affliction and, and trials and testings happen in our life, we, we get real atheistic real quick, right? Like we, we're here on Sunday, we worship God, we love the music, we even sway and act like some hippies, but then Monday hits and real life hits, and then maybe not theologically, but practically, we start saying, well, where's God? You know, even, even leaving a Sunday, we can feel that way. Why? Because Chick-fil-A's closed on a Sunday. Where is God in this forsaken generation that I can't get some chicken on a Sunday afternoon? Where is God? It happens so quick. And it might not even be really big issues. It could be the smallest little things that just make us turn and run from the God that sees us and knows us. So in your affliction, and some of you know exactly that God is stirring in your heart even right now, these different circumstances and trials and these afflictions that are happening. Do you see God in them? Because we can say the same sentence from two different hearts. What is God doing? Like, I, I gave my life to you. Like, I trust you. I go to church every Sunday. I'm involved in a life group. I serve in Cal Kids. And you know, Lord, how difficult that is. What are you doing in my life? Like, I thought it was supposed to be easy. Why is this so hard? Why does this hurt so much? Why won't you just make this go away? And we can look at that. We can see our affliction. We can look at God and say, what are you doing? Or we could look at our trials, our afflictions, our testing, our troubles, our circumstances, and ask, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Who do you want me to become? And how are you using this to transform, to shape me, to mold me, to be in your image? So can we say, like, what is God doing in my life? Because even more real than the struggles of our life is the presence of God. And that's hard because a lot of us, we get real, you know, our problems hit our life and we're looking at those and they can seem like they take up all of our mental capacity, all of our space. It's all we can think about. We got this, this, and this, and I can't think about anything else. Don't you understand the struggle is real? Yeah, but the presence of God is more. And so even in the midst of our affliction, we find comfort in God, Jesus Christ, who says, I know what you're going through. I know your affliction. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander that is happening because of me. I know. And there's comfort in that. And what does he say? Not only do I know, but he's telling us, but don't be afraid. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Oh, those are, those are words, right? That's nobody's life verse by any means. We always find the really good, soft ones. You know, we love Psalm 23 up on our, you know, bathroom wall. Nobody's ever looking at Revelation 2. What's your life first? Don't fear what I'm about to suffer. Like suffering? No, I didn't, want, I didn't sign up for that, Jesus. 
I want the soft white hair, you know, white skin, blue-eyed, brown-haired, soft Jesus that just pets sheep on a hillside. That's my Jesus, not the one that's telling me, do not fear what you're about to suffer. But he tells us, do not fear, be faithful. See here, the focus is not on what we experience. Because even if we took a poll, we all have different things going on in our life. And again, I think that's almost like a little flaming dart from the enemy that, yeah, we have different experiences. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't, know like, you don't know what it's like to go through what I've been going through. How dare you try to speak life into me? Why do you, how could you even encourage me? You don't even know what I've been through. We can have those feelings and thoughts, especially in our heart and our mind, even though we might never say it. See, the focus isn't about what we experience, but how do we respond in those Because even though our experiences can be different, our response is the same. What does he tell us? Be faithful. Well, how long do we be faithful? Unto death. You know what the death rate is in Osage Beach right now? 100%. Isn't that crazy? Not one person has made it out alive yet. Let me know if you do. I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I, Siri, neither do I. Let's just turn it off before she starts talking some more. (laughs) My ADD is running right now. (laughs) This is a work of the Lord right now that you can see in my eyes, like get back on point. Don't go down that rabbit trail. How long do we be faithful? Unto death. And I know you might be looking in the mirror thinking, oh, I got a while. (laughs) Or some of you are looking in the mirror thinking, I'm up. Here we go. (laughs) Batter's up. I'm on deck. Here we go. Yeah? And be faithful. None of us know the days that we have. We know the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. Nobody's going to be late to their death. You're not going to show up and like God's like, I expected you three days ago. What have you been doing? You know? but be faithful unto your death. Live a life fully faithful unto him, even if the cause of your death maybe is not what you may be filled out and signed up for, you know? We're called not to fear death. Yeah, that's easier said than done. But be faithful unto it. Now, I'm not too excited about like how that might go down for me. You know, I have a, I have a couple ways that if the Lord was asking me, like, Nick, how do you want to go? In my sleep. Even if I'm driving, I'm okay with that. Everybody else in the car, probably not so much, you know. There's a few ways that probably are not in my top 10, but be faithful unto death. Even if the moment of your death is gonna be one of the greatest moments that the gospel is gonna be proclaimed in a greatest moment of faithfulness. But again, the focus is not on what we experience, but on how we respond, because we can have different experiences, but our response needs to be the same. Be faithful. And I know that's easier said than done. Like, okay, pastor, you don't get it. Like, I got that call that you're talking about. I get it. Be faithful. But I have that adult child that's not walking with the Lord. What do I do? Be faithful. But I lost my job, and I don't. Be faithful. My marriage is on the rocks. Be faithful. Lean into it. God sees your affliction. God sees your trial, your testing. 
He is not numb to this. He's, he's not getting a, a word from your guardian angel coming up saying, hey, did you know this about them? Did, did, no, I didn't even know that. God knows. He sees. He understands what you're going through. He wants you to be faithful in that. And why? So do not fear what you're about to suffer. And, and there's a whole lot of craziness that we could get into in the interpretation of Revelation. You know, the devil's about to throw some people into prison, which it's not three hots in a cot like it is today where you can go and get a high school, college education and get ripped at the same time. Like, that's not prison in these days. It's not looking good. It says that you may be tested, and there's a difference between testing and temptation, right? Testing is always to do the positive. A temptation is always to do the negative. So the Lord never tempts us. The Lord only tests us. And it says for 10 days. And you could read 100 different commentators. You're going to hear 100 different things of what 10 days means. Yes, it is a Jewish kind of phrase meaning a short time, or it could mean a literal 10 days. One, two, three, four, five, seven, and 10. Some people go so far to think that the 10 days are the 10 different Roman emperors that persecute the church. And so they're talking about a, an extended period of time. Hey, some of you guys are gonna, are gonna suffer. Some of you guys are gonna get thrown into prison standing up for what you believe in. And you need to be ready for it. If it's 10 days or if it's 10 years, be faithful unto your death unto the Lord. And he says, be faithful. And why? I will give you the crown of life. And do you know what the crown of life is? Me either. I have no idea. The Lord hasn't Snapchatted me a picture of what that is. I keep asking. He leaves me on red. But the crown of life, there's, there's a lot of different crowns that are described in Scripture. There's the imperishable crown. There's the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. And then here we have the crown of life. So if you hold here and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says, as I'm turning, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This verse is actually printed on my favorite coffee cup at home. It's the only one I drink out of, right? And I can lose my ever-loving mind when it's, I can't find it, sadly. That shows the sanctification process going on in me. And even my daughter this weekend was like, why do you always drink out of this one? Because it's my favorite, okay? Calm down, woman. But this verse is written on it. And I'm sure that's exactly what James was thinking about when he was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, talking about the suffering and the persecution of Christians. That'll look great on a coffee mug. But it's a reminder to me every morning that I would be blessed if I remain steadfast under trial. That if I can stand the test, that there is a reward for me, and it's called the crown of life. Now, do I know what that is? I absolutely do not know what it is. I know what I get to do with it. When I'm in heaven and I have the crown of life, I'm gonna throw it at the feet of Jesus. So I'd like to have a lot of those. This act of worship of casting our crowns before him, but this crown of life given to us by enduring trials, meaning that not everybody can endure that. Not everybody's gonna walk through this. See, there's two different words that are used for crown in the ancient Greek. The first one describes the kind that a, a king would wear, you know, a crown of royalty, but here the word is Stephanos. 
right? And it's used as given as a trophy to a winning athlete. It's a victor's crown, right? Unlike, you know, soccer leagues around here that give away participation trophies, not everybody's going to get one just because you show up. Sorry. Especially if you play soccer and you think every kid should get one. That's a whole other sermon. No, there has to be a battle before you. There's something that you're going to have to endure and overcome. Even Jesus says here that to the one who conquers, if you don't conquer, there's no crown of life for it. And so what are we going to have to walk through? What is, what is this conquering going to be? I know your tribulation. I know your affliction. I know the circumstances of your life that are, that are trying to tempt you away from faithful obedience to Jesus. And at the same time, those situations, those afflictions in our life are testing us for faithfulness. See, it's a, it's a testing or a temptation by our response. That's why you can look at the same situation and some people walk away from the Lord and they're tempted by the world and not to walk in faithfulness. And at the same time, the same trial is a testing that produces steadfastness, that strengthens us and encourages us in our faith. And so verse 11 tells us that the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death about? So hold here, go to Revelation 21, more towards the end. Revelation 21 verse eight, I'm going to read the second part of the verse first, and then we'll get to the first part of the verse. And it says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. If that's figurative or literal, I don't want any part of it. Because if it's figurative, yeah, if that's the best way you could describe what this is, it's a lake of fire that burns with sulfur, yeah, I'm out. That's going to be a no for me, dog, right? And if it's literal, I don't know which way is worse. And who is this for? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, which is the second death. See, if we were writing that verse, we'd say absolutely that's where the murder needs to go. Absolutely that's where we need to send the sexual immoral and the sorcerers and these idolaters. But the cowardly? Setting kind of a high bar here. Like cowardly lion in the lake of fire like that is throwing a wrench in my Wizard of Oz Christianity here. But that word cowardly, it, it means a stronger word for fearful. What it means is someone who loses their moral fortitude. So when you hear scripture say, do not fear, and even here, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Don't lose your moral fortitude in order to try to save your life on this side of glory. Don't fear that. Don't be cowardly. Walk strong. Walk in faith. Walk in trust that God is still in control and he sees you. He knows you. He understands. He remembered his covenants. His blood poured out for you. He is with you. Don't lose that moral fortitude because of whatever trial you're about to suffer through. Meaning so many have. And so here in, in scripture, it talks about that I know your poverty, but you are rich. And a lot of people ask, you know, what is that? 
What does that mean? You are rich. Are they talking financially? Are they talking? And there's a lot of different components that we would say are that Smyrna would be rich. And one of them is that they were rich in leadership. See, there was this dude named Polycarp, right? So if you are expecting, if you are great with child and you're looking for a good name that means something, that has a great legacy, you really honestly can't get better than Polycarp. Will he get made fun of at school? Probably, but he's gonna be a boss of a dude, right? Name your kid Polycarp, trust me in this, right? <laughs> like, I ain't naming my kid Polycarp. <laughs> Polycarp was a disciple of John, the apostle John that wrote the book of Revelation, that wrote the gospel of John. He was a direct disciple of him. And like John, he grew into old age. He was about 86, I believe, when, and he's from Smyrna, this is where his home church would be, and this is where he led and did ministry. He's about 86, and the church is under heavy persecution. They actually hid him out on a farm outside of town. And, he, and there, he has a dream of a burning pillow that he took to understand the type of death that he was going to endure soon. And so the Roman officials hate Christianity, and they want Polycarp, they actually get one of Polycarp's disciples and they torture him until he gives up where Polycarp is at. And so these Roman soldiers roll into the farm and they're actually surprised to find Polycarp, not this big, strong, you know, preacher of a dude, but he was a frail old man. They actually put him on a, on a horse and rode him back into town. So to see any kind of uh, ounce of mercy from the Roman Empire, that's saying something. And they ride them right into a Colosseum-style event center where they're persecuting Christians. Many Christians have already been killed, and some have even recanted their faith. What they would do is put you in there, and under the fear of a tiger or a lion that was going to eat you alive, all you had to do is walk over, take a pinch of incense, drop it into the flame, and say, Caesar is Lord, and your life would be spared. That's all you had to do. Very simple. Pinch of incense into the fire, Caesar is Lord, and then you're set free. So they bring Polycarp in there, and that's what the Roman leader at the time wanted him to do. And I love his response, and I'm gonna butcher it. He said, you know, I've been walking with the Lord 86 years. Yeah, I'm probably not gonna do that. I'm gonna go with Jesus on this one. And they had already put up the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my. And so they brought in dry wood and they were gonna tie him to the stake and burn him alive. And normally they would tie you to the stake because, you know, could understand that, who would voluntarily say, no, I'll stand here. Polycarp did. He said, you don't need to tie me to the stake, I'll stand here. I understood the vision that God gave me. And in that arena, multiple witnesses will account that the voice from heaven said, stand firm, Polycarp, play the man. So when you think in the, in the moments, the last moments of his life under heavy persecution, he knew Jesus is saying, I see you. Be faithful unto death. Play the man. So he stood there. They ended up tying his hands together, but that was it. They didn't tie him to the stake. And he stood there and they lit it on fire. And he didn't burn. He was saved from it. It was almost like a... a, a 
protection around him that kept him from burning. And that absolutely made the Roman officials more angry, so they ordered him to be stabbed. And so one of the soldiers pulled out a spear or his knife and stabbed him, and so much blood came out that it extinguished the fire. And all he had to do was take a pinch of incense, drop it into the fire, and say, Caesar is Lord. See, that's the leadership that this church had. Now, if you wrangle me up in some dry wood and we say, hey, we're going to burn this guy, I'm going to kick and scream like a five-year-old little girl, right? Like, I'm a spider monkey. You don't want to come after me, okay? Some people have tested the waters on that, and it didn't work out well for them. <laughs> but that's Polycarp, faithful unto death. And so when, he, when John is writing and saying, you are rich, understand the richness of the men of God that you have in your church that Smyrna was a very heavily persecuted church and every time didn't falter, didn't stutter, didn't stumble, but stand firm. And even today, the fastest growing church in the world, China, under heavy persecution, still continually, that is the fastest growing church. Where Rome was probably thinking if we could kill Polycarp and kill all of these Christians, we will extinguish Christianity from our nation. And there's nations even today that have that same thought. That if we can just kill off all the Christians, we will exterminate Christianity from our nation. Except every time that they do, that the blood of the martyrs, the blood of the saints, is the seed of the church and it grows even more. And so even the name of this city, Smyrna, do you see what word is in the middle of it? In the church of Smyrna, the word Smyrna, do you see what word is in the middle of it? Myrrh. Myrrh. It's that fragrant perfume that's used in embalming dead bodies. Maybe you remember that. That's one of the gifts that the wise men bring to Jesus at his birth. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? And it becomes very fragrant when someone crushes it. And so these believers in Smyrna, they would have been found encouragement that even though the expectation of death threatened them, they had resurrection and eternal life with Christ. That was certain to them. Because when, as we're walking through these seven different churches, every description that we have of Jesus is directly tied specifically to that church. And what is described here in verse eight, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So when we talk about to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death, that all man is destined to die once. To be absent from the body is gonna be present with the Lord because of our faith in Jesus. And second death will not touch us. And there is hope in that. Again, not, not too excited how that process is gonna be for me, but my hope is in Christ and the encouragement is to be faithful until or even in that moment. And so 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12 talks about how death, Paul's writing, death is at work in us, but in you it is life. That even though that these Christians and these leaders in the church are being killed, it is, being, it is bringing life that other people are coming to faith because of the legacy of their lives and the testimony of their lives. Even, even today, we can talk about certain people that live that way. You could say words like Jim Elliott, and those of us that know, know that he was killed in the Amazon for his faith, trying to reach a lost tribe. 
And when you hear the fullness of the story that it was his wife that later goes down and leads most likely the same chief that killed and ate her husband to the Lord. They were a cannibalistic tribe. She brings him to the Lord. Imagine doing the uh, sinner's prayer with him. The man that killed your husband. I was reading uh, this week, every month I get the uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine that I always like to read and walk through. And you see all of these wives that continue the work of their husbands in ministry because they're not there. Not because they bailed on them, but because they were killed. And all of them, just hearing testimony time and time again, just thinking, I don't know if I could say that. That no matter what comes across, we're still going to trust the Lord. And even in the absence and the death of my husband, we are seeing God work miracles. That we are going to be faithful unto death through this. And so Jesus' description of himself, who died and came to life, not only does Jesus see you and hear you, he's been there. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was crushed for our iniquities. And so this myrrh at his birth, foreshadowing his death, now it describes the church. That when we are crushed and put under pressure, affliction, persecution, instead of quenching the spirit and the work of God, what happens? This fragrant aroma is released, which I think is the Holy Spirit. that when Christ was crushed on the cross just 50 days later that we celebrated last week, the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers permanently as a seal of our salvation and the hope of our sanctification and the glorification before us. And so when a man is being crushed, that's when you'll see what he's made of. And I'm not talking about the guts and the goo and all the whatever but with what a man truly is. When he's under pressure, under affliction, when he is being crushed, you'll see what he's made of. Will he remain steadfast under trial, not losing his moral fortitude, trying to fit into the world around us? Or will he take the pinch of incense and praise another God? And I'm just gonna be honest with you. The next two weeks are not for the faint of heart. And so if you're looking for a very comfortable Christianity, don't come back at least for two weeks. <laughs> then you can. We'll see where we're at there. But looking ahead of what the Lord has for us as we're looking at the church in Pergamum and Thyatira, a lot of you are, I'm going to go home and read this. What's he talking about? This is under pressure, I think, is when the, is when the church is at its best. Not in comfort, but under affliction and under persecution and if you look at the world around us, don't know if you read the news much, is there ever a time that the church needs to be the church today? That it is a time for us to get our weight up. That's why we did 21 days in the word, that we corporately want to come together, what to get our weight up in the word of God. Even right now, we got a week left of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you want to join, please join. There's booklets in the hub. You can sign up for the text. Oh, what's a week of prayer? Ask the Lord that. 
What could God do in a week of prayer that if we humble ourselves and bow before him and intercede on behalf of our brothers and the broken world around us and the ministry that we have here at Calvary, what could God do in a week of prayer? We need to get our weight up. Why? Because do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now our experiences might be different than that of a persecuted nation in another country. And that's why we don't try to compare uh, experiences. I'm like, oh, well, we, we don't do that. So, no, 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 this is our fight. This is who we are, Calvary Chapel, Lake of the Ozarks, in this community, in this country. Are we gonna be faithful unto death? Are we looking for that crown of life? Or are we gonna release and give up our moral fortitude and walk away from the Lord? because we wanna fit into the culture around us? Are we gonna take that pinch of incense and praise another God? Because there's no way that we can hold fast to the morals and the values of scripture that, again, take it to the fullness, this is the heart of God. Our morals, our values, what we hold to as our beliefs, this is the heart of God. And our world, I believe, is becoming more and more on a full assault against the things of God. I'm being convinced of that more and more. I'm gonna throw this mic in the trash. (laughs) I'm being convinced of that more and more. But will we, as the church, individual believers, then as the body of Christ, will we be faithful? And so hear the words of Jesus. I know, I know what you are going through. This testing of your faith is to get your weight up because I want to do a work in and through you. And right now, just a little out of shape. I mean, look at, look at me. Just a little out of shape. We need to get our weight up a little bit because I want to work in and through you. But don't fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And, and if you will conquer this that is before you, if you will remain steadfast, keep putting your faith and your trust in me, not just for salvation, but it's the same faith that sanctifies us. It's the same faith that will glorify us on that side of death. We will not be hurt by second death. Keep trusting the Lord with your life. Be faithful in the little things. Why? Because God has bigger things for you, for me, for us. And we understand that God's not done yet. Why? Because we still have a pulse and we are still here. That there is still work to be done. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely. Look at the world around us. They're not really open arms to the things of Christ whatsoever. But be faithful. And if you don't want to be faithful, just get out of the way of those that want to. It's weighing us down. It's an extra burden that the church should not have to carry. And I know what I'm saying. Be faithful unto death. We need to get our weight up and pursue Christ with our life because we are in a very real battle. Pray with me. Father, you are stirring, you are shaking your church. And I pray that it would bring a zealousness out of us, a faithfulness, a passion to see your word, your truth go forth, 
to see your grace transform and change lives. I pray that we would hold the line, that we would not surrender and give up our moral fortitude, that we would not surrender the values of your heart and the truth of your word. Lord, let us be a church that holds fast. Regardless of the tribulation, regardless of the suffering, the poverty that you could bring, regardless of the slander that we may receive, even if we're thrown into prison under the threat of death, Lord, I pray that we would stand firm and the testing of our faith would produce endurance and that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in a way that we have not seen yet, holding fast to your word, understanding that the promises that your spirit be poured out in these last days, Lord. We are looking for you to work more and more in and through us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen.